You're listening to Kapow, the pop culture podcast. Comics, television, movies, and more. If it impacts fan culture, we have something to say about it. And now, your hosts, Jordan, Cliff, and Seth. Welcome back once again to Kapow, the pop cultured podcast. My name is Jordan Lope. I'm Cliff Barnes. I'm Seth. Yeah, take two was more energetic, guys. Great job. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Oh, sometimes we forget to turn the microphones on. Sometimes we got them facing the wrong way. Sometimes I forget I to turn them on. Almost got another gift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we only got about four minutes into it, folks. So we're this is take two. <laughs> on Memorial Day weekend, we're a little loose. We haven't been, we haven't done this in a while. I yeah. feel like we took some time off to it for ourselves. A little time apart is healthy. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Nah, outside, out of mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what are we doing this week? We're doing just news. We're going to make people wait on that Riverdale finale. Mm, yeah, that's right, people. Stay tuned. Hey, I just got to it today, anyway. So, are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, I should have went and watched. So, it. Yeah, yeah, you should have spent more spoilers a week ago. Yeah, to you hurry should, him you up. Have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sent me more pictters that I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. So there will be zero Riverdale this episode. Do not uh, worry, folks. Mm, if you mm, have some mm, sort of Riverdale bias, we're not going to even say the word Riverdale. How many times <laughs> can I not say the word Riverdale in a, a podcast without Riverdale content? <laughs> so we got news coming up. We got entertainment to talk about. We got gaming. We got TV. We got we got plenty to get to. But I wanted to start with a little bit of sad news and some there's some condolences out there. Uh, a very long-time pool customer at Asylum passed away last week. So we're going to miss Jason around at the shop. Uh, very sweet man. Very funny guy. Uh, his wife, Julie, out there. Uh, much condolences. And our friend Jesse Starcher from the Source Material Podcast. He had a loss in the family this week. The original Jesse... Mm-hmm. Our dear, dear friend, we're thinking about you. We love you, buddy. He's yeah. going to be back too. He'll be back on yeah. our show soon. Yes, yep, we're going to get back here. He, uh, I was just on his show, and he mentioned it's finals time. <laughs> he wants to come back and administer. It's our, always my favorite our quiz. show. That's my time to shine right there. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have him back to do some trivia pretty soon. Mm. And by the time this comes out, it, uh, my episode of Source Material should be out there. Hit up the Rattlich in Broadcasting Network. Uh, we talked Blood Ties, the 1993 crossover between X-Men and Avengers, celebrating the 30th anniversary of both teams. Kind of the follow-up to Fatal Attractions, where all the good stuff happened. Well, this, these were like, the, they had the like the silver cover and the gold cover yes. stuff. Yeah, I got on them. I wasn't allowed on the Fatal Attractions episode, where they pulled all the adamantium out of Wolverine. They mind wipe uh, Magneto, just awesome, cool stuff. <laughs> I was not asked. <laughs> so they're like, hey, come on, talk about the follow-up. I was like, oh, I'm sure there's good stuff. The in one that. nobody wants to be yeah, on. Yeah, the one with nothing interesting going on. <laughs> no, it was a good conversation. I was happy to be back on there. So uh, check me check out, out over there on the Radishes and Broccoli Network. That's, That's right. right. Talking veggies. <laughs> um, guys, it is gaming season. Challenge your imagination to come alive and to battle with the creatures of Dungeons and Dragons. 
ownership. <laughs> I got a bingo! What do I win? It's Operation the Wacky Doctor's Game where you're the wacky doctor. Battery's not included. I you doing? My turn. Shall we play a game? Yes, we've been playing a lot of games in here on the Velvet lately. I noticed you redecorated the bunker. That's right. We got we got yarn wall over the place playing this detective game, and like <clears throat> we we played a game called Treasure Island that I got recently. That's really good. We played Condottiere. It's a great bluffing game, area control, a lot of fun. But the best game we're playing right now is the reason I have pictures on the wall in here now is Detective, a modern crime board game. It's from Portal Games. I got it last year at Gen Con, and we hadn't cracked it open because there's so, so many games and so little time. But got hyped up because there's a lot of gaming going on right now. We got, uh, in like three weeks, we got Origins and Columbus Gaming Convention, and then at the beginning of August, we have Gen Con and Indianapolis, and we just signed up for the events we're going to do there. And a buddy of mine's going to get to go for his first time to that. So this is the pinnacle. These are the two pinnacles. These of, are the two biggest yeah. gaming conventions in the United States, and they're both mm-hmm. within drive to us, which is pretty great. Um, so anyway, we've just been hyped up playing games, so we started playing this, yes. and you Fidget, uh, folks out there, he bought yarn. Yeah, I had yarn. Oh, okay. because the conversation was Nick. We start opening it up and realize what it was. I was like, I was like, I have yarn. I got. I go. I said, I have good news and bad news. I have yarn. I set it on the table, and he said, What's the bad news? I was like, It's red, and our walls red. <laughs> I was like, But I have a dry erase board. We're hanging this baby up. We're tons of people together. I guess I never think about that in all the detective movies and shows that somebody had to go out and buy the yarn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yes. I'm, I can't I'm, remember what I bought it for. I'm just glad my sure. mug shot's not up there. Yeah. Oh, it's. I've still got a stack. You're in here. <laughs> but anyway, this game is great. It's you, it's, you can have any number of people play it. I mean, I think it'll take probably up six or seven p- people, but... We discovered it really as a two-person game because I think you get too many people involved. You might be too many minds. You need to just kind of work it out together. And they just give you a lot of clues. that It's integrated with a user computer, and they have a website, which is like it's like it's your uh, database at the police station and Nick would run that and I'd run, you know, get these clues. We'd work it out, take a bunch of notes and hang up the pictures and figure out who people were and tie them all together. And there's a lot of stories from the past and things. It's just really fun. But I mean, I played a couple, played like that Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, which is kind of like this, but this blows it out of the water. So you say you're still playing it. Is it one long experience, or are there several shorter cases? The box contains five cases. We've played two of them, and each of them took four hours because, well, we take our time. You could do it faster. But we're really enjoying it. So we just take our time, and we found out that the second case has a lot to do with the first case, and it's all going to be tied together over one huge case. With yarn. Right. Tied together mm-hmm. with yarn. That's right. Yes. Like, what, J- Jordan, what did I have you do when you walked in here? There was a magnifying glass <laughs> sitting at my chair. A actual magnifying yes. glass. There, 
there was some sloppily written handwriting he wanted me to decipher, and I was horrible at it. So yeah. he he couldn't figure it out either. But the guy, the last guy that worked on this case, um, he uh, left some left some random note written on the back of his police report, and then he got hit hit and run. But uh, obviously, I think that was on purpose. Somebody killed him. He got a little too close. So I've been looking both ways before I cross the street. You're in too deep. (laughs) Anyway, we're having a blast. Tomorrow we're playing it all day, doing at least one case, and we just can't get enough of it. So this is a great game. Or if you look up there, Jordan, I already got the sequel, L.A. Crimes. We're going to L.A. when all this is over. Parental advisory. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Sonny, and (laughs) he's Tubbs. You don't know yet, but we're going to... Go taking Miami to LA. And we're getting sunny in the in the hmm. California sun. It's gonna be great. Anyway, I don't know if they're making more sequels though, because I don't know how big of a hit it was. But I, I'm definitely gonna be talking to him at Gen Con. And say keep it up, because this we're I think it's Nick's favorite game now. Anyway, moving on. We uh we're all signed up for all our conventions, and we're psyched. So you're gonna be hearing about all kinds of games over the next few months. Hmm. So that's what we're here for. Let's get to what we what we've been watching. Let's get to some TV. Oh, the Lord! What the hell is a sticky maple? Run, Barry, run! That's what I do. I drink and I know things. Go get him, Supergirl. Well, what this guy look like anyway? Oh, he's a little guy, kind of funny looking. Ha uh-huh. ha! In what way? Oh, just in a general kind of way. Exterminate! Little pig, little pig, let me in. These violent delights have violent ends. That's what she said. <laughs> We're in the season finale. That time of year. Yeah. Most shows are wrapping up here, so what do we want to... Well, I, uh, I have a quick question. Do uh-huh. you, you guys watch Barry? Any of you watch Barry? Um, no, I, I've... It's been on in the background as I do stuff, or like it comes on after Game of Thrones. And it has, and it's great. But I haven't really. It's really good. It. Just finished the second season of that. So anybody out there watching Barry, you know, you know it's good. But I'm gonna spoil it for these guys if they ever watch it. Yeah, uh, Bill Hader. He's great. He's just great in it, and and Henry Winkler's great in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just good show. Two solid seasons. Yeah, and then. Uh, Jordan and I were just talking about. I I told him I I, fin- I finished Flash on the CW finally, and because he's been telling me, hey, Flash is good again, and uh, Don't put the pressure on me. <laughs> no, I agree though. I thought it was it, it was good again. I I think for me having a little flash break there, um, if you will, and then coming back to it kind of helped me out. You know. Flash fatigue was over. It's definitely 22 episodes is a lot now. It's a lot. It seems like a lot, especially when you only have one villain you're fighting the whole yes. season. I would prefer they kind of broke them up into two shorter Me seasons too. or whatever. How far back do we want to go? The last one we talked about was episode nine. I actually were. I would probably start about whatever episode like Godspeed showed up. Episode 18. You mean? Yeah. That's all these notes. I just want credit for the notes. Okay. I don't all, care if we yeah. talk about it. I just want it acknowledged yes. the extensive notes I take. 
Yeah. Although I did want to, I do, I have to mention episode 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the first time we met the young rogues. Oh, yeah. The silver ghost has this. We learned the meta, it was technology this year. Technology yeah. could be metamorphosized or whatever. And that episode was co written by Sterling Gates, who was a longtime Flash writer for DC. Uh, it was the episode where Barry couldn't stop vibrating. Yeah. And he had to just go sit. In I the, think they just wrote him off the episode. Yeah, they he was reading. The cell. He was reading Mick's book <laughs> from Legends. He was yeah. reading Uncaged Desire by Mick Rory. <laughs> but that episode had a it had a Bucker Bonsai reference. Yep, because I had a supercar that could like go through stuff. It ran on like it had a display that ran on emojis or something. It was like bombs. Yeah, like I have crazy, a bomb emoji crazy. and it would blow stuff up. So it was very silly. But at that point, uh, the detective work going on there. Mm-hmm. One, one of the villains salutes somebody, and the quote was, "That salute, she's obviously military." <laughs> they figured out who she was because she saluted yeah. someone, and mm-hmm. only only someone trained extensively by the military would know how to salute. <laughs> so yeah, then we just we followed Cicada the whole mm-hmm. season. He's got this dagger. This is Chris, American Pie, Chad. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Chris Klein. Chris Klein. Cicada. Yes. With a very deep voice. Yeah, I didn't care for him much, but whatever. Uh, As we, an actor in this show, I didn't care. I was ho-hum. We had Goldface, the villain. <laughs> Not from Thrill <laughs> Midnight, though. <laughs> I assume that's a real DC villain. Yeah. A guy with a gold face. Yeah, I think Michael Scarn's... I think it was Golden Face. Golden Face, yeah. You have to let us go, Golden Face. We have families. This is going to show them that I mean business. See ya. Uh, We had Gorilla Grodd. Gorilla Grodd fought King Shark. Yeah. Which, you know, that's a pretty cool thing right there in itself. Joe, Jesse L. Martin was missing for like half the season. Yeah, um, he took some sort of medical leave I from wondered. the show for a while. Because pre- his yeah. absence was pretty noticeable. Yeah. But he came back strong in the end. Uh, we have Acid Master, another Z-list DC <laughs> hero, I'm sure. Uh, Godspeed, which is kind of a recent villain. Very, yeah. Um... So this, where we get Grace, his daughter, that Sakai's been trying to protect. We learn later that she is a meta herself. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, they reference something about the timeline, and they say from Anthro to Commandy, which is a good yeah. pull from DC yeah, history. Good. Anthro, the the you know, cave boy mm-hmm. to Commandy, the last boner. Uh, you know, we had the icicle came back. Caitlin's dad. Mm-hmm. Tried to turn the whole family into ice metas. Uh, we had time travel shenanigans. Nora was hanging out with Thawne in the future. We learned that yeah. was her big secret. Yeah, this was very much Nora's season, I thought. you know, And she was good. She was good. I liked yeah. her. Very believable that... You know, Barry and Iris together, that would, you know, be the, the product there. And, and and they did a justice with her, you know, Barry disappearing that we knew about, knew about back in season one. And her life, you know, without a father and how it, how strained her relationship was with her mother. 
And then Iris had, uh, we find out later that Iris had implanted a chip in her to take away her meta powers, her speedster. Which we had a good argument. Was that for her benefit or right. not? And yeah, I, even Iris, who is usually the weak link on the show for me, like this mm-hmm. season, she had some pretty strong mm-hmm. moments yeah. too. Um, we some some crazy went down at the G Simone and Associates Architecture firm. <laughs> obviously, a Gail Simone reference. Uh, all the people they called her. Uh, we got uh, uh, Grace from the future. Just when we thought we had defeated right. Chris Klein, Cicada. She came back from the future, and they started calling her Cicada 2. Yeah, it was, yeah. Like, guys, I think Cicada 2 is robbing a bank or whatever. It's like, that's, it's okay to read that, yeah, but it's, it's weird okay to the hear comic, it. But, yeah. yeah. So we had a female Cicada, mm-hmm. more time travel shenanigans. So we find out eventually the big twist, because we didn't know Thawne seemed like a nice guy all, all year, imprisoned, uh, seemed like he was trying to help We Nora. should know by now, though. Find out the dagger in the future is the only thing keeping him in prison that that drains mm-hmm. people's power. He has it implanted. Imp- What's the word? Implanted in right. his chest. <laughs> so he convinces Nora to go back and destroy the dagger, which, as we know, rules yeah. of time travel, the non-Avengers division, <laughs> that would change the future. It doesn't happen, though, and a lot of stuff happens, and then it ends. Mm-hmm. But it ends... The Crisis, the new famous newspaper from the first season, Flash Disappears in yeah. Crisis. Yeah. The date zips back to 2019. Right. They didn't avert the crisis. The crisis is on its, its way. Bedded up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the uh, the episode where Nora gets Ragdoll and um, the Weather Witch and Queen Bee together to, you know, work with her. Of course, they... You know, in the end, uh, I'll turn on her basically. But, but that was a really good episode. I, and the season as a whole, I, I, it was solid. I thought, I, I thought it was a good comeback from last. You know, season kind of dipped a little bit for me. But yeah, and uh, all these CW shows are now leading into Crisis on Infinite Earths. None more so than Legends of oh, Tomorrow. Boy, what a great show! This season has been tailor-made for me. We have eight episodes we haven't talked about. Okay. So let's give each their due time. (laughs) Start start with 18. (laughs) Uh, We went to 1961 Mexico City. We had a whole episode about Lucha Libre. Uh, There's a wolf man wrestling a luchador. We found out Hank Sr., who is Biff Tannen. Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson is experimenting. He was great in the show. Creatures. He was so good. I thought, like, when this season ended, I thought, he needs to be in more stuff. Yeah. He always yeah. has, like, little cameos and stuff. He deserves more screen time. So in that episode, Mona, the girl they'd hired to kind of keep track of all the creatures, she got turned into a wolf creature. Yeah. She falls in love with the... I can't think of what the, his name was. Kunani. Kunani. Um, and uh, then she act, he accidentally scratches her, and she becomes whatever he is. Then episode 10 is the most important episode. It's set in 1973. They've kidnapped Richard Nixon, taken him <laughs> into an RV, and they're all headed to vacation at 
Walt Disney World. Not only that, <laughs> in matching t-shirts that say Barnes Family Vacation. I was truly in habit. I was like, is this really happening right now? How, like, are you making this show just for me? Because I totally believed that at that moment. Nixon, an RV, headed to Florida. It was insane. And the next and episode cockroach was... cockroach, or what was it, a cockroach? What some was kind that? of truth bug. That yeah, it was, kept flying into people's yeah, noses. You couldn't gross. tell a lie if the bug was <laughs> attacking you. The next episode was in 1802, where they go hang out with Jane Austen. Yeah. And the Hindu god of love shows up, and it turns into a... The last ten minutes are a Bollywood musical. Yeah. Which was so very Legends. Yeah. Was like, what? Yeah. If Why it, not? I rolled my eyes a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, not? all right, just roll with it. <laughs> Uh, at that point, we reveal the big villain this year. We've dealt with all these mm. creatures, and we've reared the demon Neron. Yeah. Who has a history with John Constantine. Um, and then we head back to Barnes territory, <laughs> where Ava is trapped in purgatory mattress shopping. Yeah. You gotta pick out the <laughs> perfect mat. I'm, I'm serious. How, like... Do I have an implant in my brain <laughs> that they're feeding off of? Like, this is my life right here. So, yeah, this is the character Ava, head of the Time Bureau, very uptight. Once everything's scheduled, her yeah. girlfriend Sarah is more loosey-goosey and just goes with the flow. And this was a good episode with the, with their relationship. Yeah. And like she goes into purgatory to save her. And they have to kind of figure out what, you know, yeah, is this a long-term the, yeah. thing? Yeah. But I had a good... I wrote this down because it was so... Well, it wasn't just the mattress shopping, though. It was okay? like a whole superstore. Yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a whole retail store that they couldn't find... They had to find their way out of. But, like, the very first task was putting together a bookshelf. <laughs> now, you may not have known this, but I worked for a retail company for a long time, was in charge of the furniture department. I was the manager there, and I spent 15 years putting together furniture just like this. And I was like, and as soon as uh, Sarah like throws the instruction booklet to the side, I'm like, oh, no, I know how this ends. This is not going to be good. <laughs> but, yeah, they, as they get through these tasks and get further through purgatory, they, yeah. you know, they have to decide what their future is. And at one point they're talking about, you know, do you really need me? Do I need you? And one of them says, I don't need anyone. I want you. Like, I was like, that, what a, what a insightful thing to say. It's not about, these are two strong characters that get by fine on their own. Right. They don't need someone to make them better. They want someone by their side. I was like, that, for a silly show like this, that was so, that was so well done. And of course, Nate turns around and says, My dad made a deal with a demon to open a theme park. I'm not sure how much more of this I can take. <laughs> so we learned the big... Hay World! Hay World. <laughs> For Nate Haywood. Biff is opening a theme park based on magical creatures. Right. Beware the unicorn. Next episode, 1933, in the Explorers Club in the Arctic. <laughs> they uh, go undercover as Henry Jones Jr. and Marion... <laughs> <laughs> wearing the the costumes very well done if you're not watching legends what are you doing with your life right now i mean come on and mick got invited to romanticon 2019 oh, to read 
his novel. And, and he has, um, uh, what's her name? The changeling. Charlie. Yeah, Charlie. He has Charlie impersonate the, the uh, she plays the part of the actual author. And, uh, of course, you know, the romance novels and all. He's the hottest romance novel author out there. And, um, all these women at this convention are, are, they're basically doing a, a like a panel and asking her, you know, a Q and a session all about the books that she has never read or written or anything. <laughs> and finally, uh, Rory has enough of it and, you know, lets the cat out of the bag and, and they're okay with it. Yeah. They accept Rory for who he is. The book was just that good. <laughs> but while they're all doing that, Sarah is trying to impress Ava mm-hmm. by reading the book for her book club, which I, I froze the screen at. It was The Girl Who Got Murdered Too Much was the book they were reading. And she found out she gets the audio book and listens to it at two times speed. Jesse. Using the Jesse method <laughs> to get through this book. Uh, that episode where he gets possessed by Niran, mm-hmm. and he's got a evil hand. Yeah. Like, uh, there's a lot of Walking Dead, or Walking Dead, Evil Dead references. He says, that's not groovy at all. <laughs> so he's attacked by his own evil hand. Yeah, Ray really didn't have a whole lot else to do this season. I mean, he had his thing with uh, Nora Dark happen- romance there happening. Mm-hmm. But other than that, they're just like, well, let's just, Ray, you play the villain guy so yeah they bring the nora demon. back nora joins the time bureau uh, the next episode the the wave rider gets trapped in the donner the donner party mm-hmm. pass mm-hmm. constantine's in 55 ad at stonehenge where he meets one of his ancestors uh and the uh, tabitha the fairy godmother returns yes bippity boppity boo very much um so the next episode I forget. She gets attached to Gary somehow. Yeah. His cursed nipple. Yeah. He, he wishes to get his nipple back <laughs> yeah. that the unicorn bit off. Who thought that would be <laughs> such a plot point? <laughs> so Gary keeps getting wishes from the godmother in the next episode. And of course, he just wants to be part of the group. Yeah. Uh, John Constantine is in hell. And hell's weird. It's just a weird. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of like South Parkersburg. Yeah. <laughs> it was just sort of dilapidated buildings and stuff. Yeah. It was like a nicer Gotham City. <laughs> So, Palmer, while he's uh, possessed by this demon, he starts this app, and the fine print of it mm. will steal your eternal soul. Right. Um, so, if you download the app and accept the terms. Right. So, he's going to get all these souls. Um, all the magical prisoners gets released, and Nora gets the power of the fairy godmother. Yeah. So, then we get to the finale there's a panic over all these monsters escaping, so everyone wants to download this app. The app is to help you yeah. find the monsters. I don't think I said that. Uh, uh, Raising Hell playing Jenga with Vandal Savage. Yeah, nice little cameo from right. season one there. Um, they're getting ready to open Hayworld, and they want some superheroes yeah. to help them pitch this to the general public. Gotta make a commercial. But... The CW Trinity of Supergirl, Flash, and Oliver Queen said hard pass. We should have done the crossover. (laughs) Which is what they said during the last crossover. When Legends was a part. Legends said hard pass. Yeah. yeah, We'll set this one out. They didn't help them during the crossover, so of course they're not going to come help them open a theme park. But you know the only thing missing 
from that big show of yours? Music. There is a young cowboy who lives on the range. His horse and his cattle are his only companions. Do I have something on my face? Did you just sing? James Taylor? I don't sing. Um, so yeah, at the end of all this, they save the day, of course. James Taylor plays a little part singing Sweet was, Baby James. Yeah! I, I was surprisingly impressed by that little moment. So we have um, Nate. It, Nate basically sacrifices himself, okay? Uh, for Ray and, 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 well, for everybody, I guess. And um, who, you know, the spirit of Tom Wilson sitting up in the rafters there, his dad... And, uh, and and Nate joins him, and and he starts with Mick, and you know possesses him basically, and starts to sing, you know, little sweet baby Jane. They get the whole everybody there. They get all get to join in to bring Nate back. So when the past gets changed, Zari disappears. Yeah, but her brother shows up in brother. her place. Interesting. And nobody and remembers. No, history has been changed. Uh, the monitor was there, yeah, eating some popcorn. Mm-hmm. So we know this is leading again, it. leading to the crisis. And then at the very end, Astra, the young girl Constantine failed to save many years ago from hell, she frees the souls of yeah. history's most evil people. So obviously, that's the setup for next year. Right. We're gonna have Joseph Stalin and Genghis Charles Khan. Manson and Genghis Khan. Yeah. They're all going to be freed, so I assume that's where we're headed. Have we been picked up for next season? I yeah. Okay. Pretty sure. I hope yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a great year. I loved it. It was and, all about me. And about stuff I love. And 16 episodes. It was... Yeah. Everyone was kind of to no the waste. waste. Yeah. Good job, CW. Yeah. Watch some legends. And I each one I watched streaming so that it counted... Oh. So somebody knows I downloaded that episode. <laughs> I'm not a Nielsen family, but I'm hmm. downloading this, the Legends. You got anything cool. else TV? Sure, yeah. Okay. Hey, are you guys watching Jeopardy? Um, I turned it on to see this, see yeah, this, this dude. guy. James Holzhauer, I think is his name. He's... He's, he just uh, yesterday or whatever he got over two million. I saw uh, I saw somewhere he he has already started donating to charity. Yeah, from his winnings. So. Yeah, he's come close a couple times to losing though. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, he's definitely he is definitely beatable. <laughs> but ninety percent of the time though, he's blowing him out of the water. Like it's it's you look down for a second, look up, boom, he's good. 20,000 more than that. I gotta tell you though, I don't like newfangled Jeopardy. I don't like jumping around the board. I don't like immediately going for the 600 and the 800. He starts at the top. Yeah, I, okay. mean, I mean at the bottom. I mean, he goes right to the thousand. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, he's get, he's the reason he's doing it is just to first off, he jumps around, throws them off. That started a couple years ago. I remember one of the big champions started doing that, and people are like, what's he doing? I get the strategy, but I don't, I don't like it. 
Oh well, oh well. I'm surprised. I don't know why they. Did. I thought you had a. I thought you were saying it wasn't legal. I'm like, oh, oh no, no. You can do whatever no. you want, but it just doesn't make sense because wouldn't you want to start? But okay, you, you want the double jeopardy, right? But what wouldn't you want to build your bank a little bit before you get double jeopardy? Why do you want that first thing when you have no money in your bank? And B, the questions are harder. The questions get harder the further down the board you go. So if it's like you know the elements. And you do the hardest one, nothing has been eliminated. If question one was oxygen, and that yeah. you're at the very bottom question for 2000, you, you don't know that that's he's been very taken confident off. in knowing it in the first place. And he's at, he, he knows it seems like the daily doubles and stuff are up on those higher ones. He, so yeah, you're right. He doesn't like have a bunch of money when he does it, but he usually has a couple thousand at least anyway, because he's only answered really, you know, high questions. He just throws everybody off. He gets all those, gets the daily double almost always. Uh, doubles always in the first in single jeopardy or whatever it's called. He always bets it all. And I mean, I sw- usually he's like got twenty thousand after the first round. There's everybody's like, what happened? You know, we just got run. O- I got hit, <laughs> got hit by a truck. But uh, it's pretty pretty neat to watch how how good he is. Um, he said said if what they say. He wanted to be this last episode. Okay, he was running out of things to ask him, you know, when he goes and talks to him. And he said, uh, Alex said something about, um, oh, Moneyball, the movie Moneyball. Because this guy's a professional gambler, was what he was doing for a living or whatever. And he's like, uh, you you like sports? He's like, you know, you could get a job doing something like Moneyball. He's like, you know, give us statistics and things. He's like, I thought that would be what I do until I realized how palatable a, a career Jeopardy contestant is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Alex, Alex was like, ooh. Yeah. It, 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 it's, they're pretty funny together. But anyway, it's it's worth I'm definitely going to watch it till this guy's gone. Um, the other thing I want to talk about that I saw on TV was the, it's the best thing I've watched in a while. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this and I know it's because it's nostalgia and I am older than you guys and I don't even know if you even knew it happened. But this past week, they did a, a tribute to All in the Family and the Jeffersons. Hi, I'm Norman Lear. When we introduced Americans to the Bunkers and the Jeffersons, people weren't used to TV shows dealing with issues like racism and sexism. But we thought humor was a way into people's hearts, and it did get millions of people talking. The language and themes from almost 50 years ago can still be jarring today, and we are still grappling with many of these same issues. We hope tonight will make you laugh, provoke discussion, and encourage action. There is so much more work we must do in this country we love so much. From the Sony Pictures Studios in Culver City, California, this is live in front of a studio audience. Yeah, what what was this? Amazing. They remade an episode. They redid an episode of each, did not change a word. They just did the actual scripts. Mm-hmm. Norman Lear, who created these shows and is just an awesome creator, you know, changed change television history just amazing what he created with those shows and he's 90 some years old 96 or something and he was there 
um, and Jimmy Kimmel hosted it. Yeah. And yeah. they they sat there and watched all these stars reenact these episodes, and it was so great because I saw all the episodes of those shows back in the day. Um, but I mean, if you've never seen All in the Family of the Jeffersons, oh my gosh, they changed television. You know, actually had people talking about real things that happen in families and racism, and you know. Mm-hmm. Archie Bunker was a big racist bigot and didn't realize it, and it was a lot of fun. Anyway, the people on it, like, oh my gosh, Woody Harrelson was Archie Bunker, Marissa Tomei was his wife, and first off... Edith. Yeah. First off, I, I was totally caught off guard. I, I'm super nostalgic for theme songs anyway, we've talked about that a little bit, but that particular theme song is those were the days mm-hmm. they would re-record it every year they'd sit down at the piano and re-sing it for that season and I didn't know they were going to do it and they said that it was the first thing they did before they went to commercial is Woody Harrelson and Marissa Tomei sang the song at the piano and it like, made me tear up like it was so because those were the freaking days when the show was on man, was how thing. old are you? <laughs> I'm telling you man <laughs> I'm sure I was watching reruns. Of yeah, that. I remember that, that came out the year I was born. It started. I, and, I remember them being in reruns for years on oh, yeah. TBS. It was just so good. Because Carol Connor was a notorious liberal, yeah, but playing a ra- you know a racist and anyway, they all just um, do you guys even remember the characters from Michael Stivic that Rob Reiner played Meathead was mm-hmm. Ike Barinholtz, uh, the Sally Struthers mm-hmm. um, da- daughter was um, Ellie Kemper. Oh, okay, and. This was it was a crossover episode, the first episode. Because the Jeffersons were a spin-off. They were their neighbors, yes. Yeah. They were a spin-off. And George Jefferson would never you never you didn't see him right off the bat. He would be outside yelling or whatever. So this was the episode they were remaking was when he first you see him and he comes into the bunker's house and um gosh, what's his name played him? <sighs> Django. <laughs> I can't think of it. Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx? Yeah, Jamie Foxx played George Jefferson. Mm. Uh, and it was live. They they did this live, which was awesome also. In so, front of a television audience? Yeah. But, <laughs> but I mean, that they, they, we don't have live shows anymore. And they did it. And he kind of messed up, but he handled it well and everything. But it was so great. Um, mm. I'm trying to think who else played people. The Anthony Anderson. Yeah, from Blackish. Played the... Played the you know George's brother and anyway oh uh, Wanda Sykes played um, Wheezy mm-hmm. but then then they did an episode of the Jeffersons of course they were still on there and they had um, <laughs> you remember the they had like the British na- one neighbor guy that acted weird that was um, I'll never remember everybody's name guy Ned from the Ned Ryerson oh yeah 
Man, I can't remember everybody's name. I should have wrote him down. He's on um, the <laughs> Goldbergs now. This yeah. is good. He's on everything. Yeah. But anyway, the couple. Remember the, mi- the, the mixed, mixed racial cup, couple? Yeah. This was like yeah. one of the, the first. The neighbors, yeah. Yeah, Tom. And, and they that was Will Ferrell <laughs> and Kerry Washington. Okay. It was so good. It, it was great. Yeah. And in between... You know, they when they got ready to sing, sing "Moving On Up," they stopped and Jennifer Hudson sang it, huh. and she was amazing. Like the whole thing was just amazing. You could tell they all were so proud to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. They at the the episode of the Jeffersons was an early one, and they were hiring their maid, which was Florence was her name. Yeah, and at the end of the episode, when she when they go to, she comes from the agency to apply. It was her. It was actually the. Yeah, it was the actress Marla Gibbs. She's like 80 some years yeah. old. And they, you know, her and Norman Lee are still with it. You know, you know, I'm sure somebody out there knows what the hell I'm talking about. But anyway, <laughs> it was great. If you, if you, you used to watch those shows and you have any, you know, love for these old sitcoms back in the golden age of sitcoms, you know, it was, it was pretty awesome. I wish they did more stuff like that. Stephen Tobolowski. Yeah, Tobolowski. Ah, uh, it was great. Cool. So I was glad I didn't miss that. Well, we're not in the Golden Age of sitcoms now, but there was one just premiered and ended. It was six episodes long on ABC. I wanted to mention, bless this mess. I knew Ugh. nothing about this show. That looked terrible. I didn't watch it. I I didn't know anything about it until somebody said, "Oh, that's on tonight," and it is. Co-created by Elizabeth Merriweather, who was the creator of New Girl, which is one of my favorite sitcoms of all time. The seventh season just dropped on Netflix, so all seven seasons are on Netflix. And it's uh, Lake Bell and Dax Shepard. And Lake Bell is the other co-creator. She has written and directed some movies and things. Also very, very funny person. Uh, had co-stars Ed Bagley Jr., Pam Greer, David Keckner. Jim O'Hare, Jerry from Parks and Recreation. So these are New Yorkers who inherit a farm in Nebraska, and they get the, you know, they have a postcard of this farm he remembers from his childhood, this idyllic, mm-hmm. wonderful rural community. She get they get there, and obviously it's falling down. The first scene had the a money pit falling through the floor. Yeah, they didn't they got it out of the way in the first scene. They fell through the floor of the place. Um, it's been renewed for a second season. So this one was just six episodes. It took a little bit to find its footing, but it just like New Girl, it's really sharp in the dialogue. They have really good chemistry, and like they're building up this cast of oddball neighbors and friends and things. So I think the second season will be even better, hmm. but I enjoyed it quite a bit. Guys, you remember the first season of Riverdale when it was only 13 episodes? <laughs> that one was uh, worth the pace. I, yeah. I, I, I took a BuzzFeed quiz yesterday on the first season of Riverdale. <laughs> It says, what do you really remember about that season? L- luckily, I recently made a, a Riverdale game. <laughs> so I did pretty good on Buzz that. BuzzFeed, I got 6,000 screenshots for you. This uh, <laughs> this uh, show has changed a lot from the first season. Well, guys, we're not talking about Riverdale. <laughs> oh, that's what I was sorry. We just slipped right in there. Can't yeah, help it. You did it. Uh, anything else, TV? Streaming. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams. Violence in the streams. That is what we are. Cross the streams. 
I just want to mention to everybody Doom Patrol. Finished it today. The season is wonderful. It's finally getting some traction with uh, critics and reviewers and comic superhero fans out there. Um, Jordan shared an article the other day with us naming it the best superhero show out there of the decade of the decade i have to agree and there's a lot of superhero shows yeah we cover them yeah half we cover half of them yeah Uh, i've said it before i do love legends of tomorrow i think it is wonderful and often made just for me uh doom patrol is something you have not seen before on your television uh, I it, agree. it is so original <laughs> and out there and strange and wonderful and I'm convinced genius um, it takes you all over the place up and down and these the character development is um, uncanny with these characters and the writing is wonderful if you get the DC Universe app it is totally worth it just binge a week of Doom Patrol if that's what you need to do um, the first episode has actually been released on YouTube. If you want to check out for free, check out the first episode of Doom Patrol. Um, the pilot's out there. Uh, it's just wonderful. Love it. Brendan Fraser making the comeback. Now, did it end in a cliffhanger? Or does it know if we're getting more of them? Uh, I, it-, it has been, as long as the DC Universe app survives, um, <laughs> we're going to get a season two. Uh, Swamp but it, it wrapped up the story okay, though. Yeah, it, yeah, it did. It was, um, yeah, yeah. It, it wrapped it up fine and left just a little bit there to lead into the season two. Um, but man, I'm telling you guys, it whew, it's wonderful. It's a ride. <laughs> Outrageous. <laughs> You're trying to get on the poster. Oh, you had all these man. quotes here about it. Um, oh, that should be our goal. Yeah, oh. should be like uncanny. Cliff from the <laughs> Pop Culture Podcast. So, yeah. anybody see any of the Twilight Zone CBS? The first office? one was free on YouTube. Ah, yes. I've watched like four episodes, mm. and I just can't get into it. So, no. you have you subscribe to the D, uh, CBS All Access? Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway. I've got a couple episodes I haven't watched yet, and we, I'll get to it eventually here. But it's good enough, but mm-hmm. it's not. I was hoping for something more. It's just I'm not cla- blowing me away. Classic Twilight Zone is available, I believe, on Hulu. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. And across Netflix. The oh, Netflix. Yeah, it's Netflix everywhere. Too, yeah. Nick just watched a whole bunch of those. And mm. he, but he had watched, like, looked up what were all the best episodes, watched all them, and then we started watching this because he's like, I love that show. Well, this isn't like all the best episodes that ever were, you know. That's <laughs> we're a little spoiled in today's world. Yeah. Get the pick and choose. What are you watching on streaming? Uh I'm my free year of Netflix is done. Uh oh. Alright, when I signed up for my cable package, I got a free year. Downgraded to the one screen plan to stretch mm-hmm. that year a couple extra months. <laughs> And this year I had like five bucks left on the like they just put it in there as a like a gift card basically. And now somebody just calls and tells you what happens on the show. 
call it the podcast method. So this month I had to pay. It was only like half. You know, I paid. I paid maybe half a month for Netflix. I'm like, okay, I'm paying now. I better start watching this stuff. Yeah. So I I did the math, and if I keep it one more month after this. I can watch Stranger Things season three before I cancel it. That's so, really what I'm holding on to. Yeah, right I'm gonna now. get through first yeah. of July, Stranger Things. So between now and Stranger Things, I got about five series I want to watch. Did so. you guys watch the new Stranger Things season three trailer with Billy? No, no. Billy. I did. Billy the lifeguard I, I, I guy. Saw the one that him walking around. Oh my it. gosh, Billy! I can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, so I, I watched Daredevil season three. Yeah, and good, good. From did you watch it? Yeah. So I th- I'm within a year, right? That wasn't that long ago, right? You're doing great. All right, good. Yeah. And the Lonely Island. Did we see that? They had a. I watched half of it. They, they had something drop a seat, like much like Beyonce or whatever. They did a a a secret album drop on okay, Netflix. That must have been part of, because I watched this what, oh, Oakland Knights yes. video thing today. <laughs> but first I want to point out a huge pet peeve of mine. When I find out something like that has been released, it's advertised all over the place, and I go into my Netflix, and it's nowhere to be found. Yeah, I had to go looking for I it. have to search for yeah. it. Like, that is ridiculous. Netflix does not what are they doing? Net, I said, I've had Netflix for more than a year. They don't know me at all. I was scrolling around like the documentary section. It's like you don't even know. And there is a documentary about Kurt Russell's dad starting a minor league baseball team. Yeah, about a And it was like, baseball. yeah, it was amazing. And it said like, percentage, you'll like this. It was like 65%. I was like, Netflix, you don't know me. <laughs> oh, do you ever awesome. like anything? Do you ever click, No, click I never do. I don't, want, I don't want him to know you my secret thoughts. <laughs> Like, good, you only 68% know me. <laughs> I'm an enigma. Yeah, I'm a, he, he fires up the... I'm a Netflix enigma. <laughs> but no, that was the Lonely Island presents the unauthorized Bash Brothers Experience. The Basically a comedy concept album, just half an hour long. And this was... I don't love Lonely Island. They're funny. I, I like, I, I like, I the, like Lonely Island. the digital shorts and yeah. stuff. They don't SNL, but I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a fan. But this hit me right in the sweet spot of that late '80s, early '90s <laughs> baseball era when I that was when I was full in collecting baseball cards. Yeah. Just a huge baseball fan. So Andy Samberg played Jose Canseco, and I'm Mark. <laughs> Akiva Schaefer played Mark McGuire. And they had actual like A's logos and oh, uniforms. Like, how did they get permission from know. Oakland to do? Because it was very raunchy. Yeah. And the jokes, like they were not, they were making fun of these guys. Oh. So I was like, how do they get the rights to use all these logos? Step into my crib, everything smells like cool water. And if you come into mine, you know it's Dracar Noir. Now have a seat on but uh, a lot of, I said just, sorry, it was basically just a bunch of music videos put together but in a very silly way kind of the that self-aggrandizing era of baseball everything was larger than life and just oh we bashed our forearms together when we hit a home run and that kind of thing. yeah uh, i watched about half of it and i was like am i still watching this, this is not blowing me away so i was hoping for more i guess i watched something on netflix um we don't usually get very sporty around here but we all speak enjoy, for we all, we all enjoy sports, <laughs> yeah, I we guess. Do. We just never yeah. talk about it really on here. But uh, I watched 
one of one of my favorite documentaries is Senna, um, which is that the last guy to die racing F one about twenty years ago. Mm. It's a really good documentary about him. And but anyway, I like a little Formula One, and there's mm-hmm. one on there called Formula One Drive to Survive, which it basically just covers the 2018 season, and it is a great behind the scenes documentary of showing these guys racing, and you ba- basically learn over, I always burnt through all the episodes one night, mm-hmm. and you just look, find out who every driver is, find out all about the teams, uh, how it works, and everything. really, it's a real good tutorial, but also very entertaining, it's just about the people, because I, I said, like, people that complain about sports and, you know, it annoy me, uh, but, <laughs> What it just sports it, for me takes these the drama of, of just that we enjoy on any show and it just put it creates this drama. It takes all the best people at something, puts them in yeah on in, in, in a field court racetrack, whatever, and just lets the drama unfold by them mm-hmm. having to try to beat oh, each yeah. other. Anyway, it was a great documentary, and I've hmm. so I've, I've watched every F one race every other week for the last month and a half since I watched this. So I was like. In a few hours, I learned who everybody was, how it works, and I was like, "This is really good." So I'm hooked. Hmm. It was a, it was definitely worth checking out if you like racing. I can't get it. I never had any interest in NASCAR, but I've always liked F1 and like autocross, where all the exotic cars and things like that. Anyway, it's hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, I watched uh, st- sticking with Netflix. I watched Dead to Me. Um, now that one I get ads for every time. Yeah, I yeah, it was all over. So I, I was just like, okay, I'm going to watch it. it. Had James Marsden. <laughs> Netflix knows Cliff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they know me. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's folding laundry, everybody. He's going to watch this. That's right. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's just Netflix. <laughs> we all did. <laughs> So yeah, had Westworld's James Marsden starred Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini. Oh, I so her. I like her. Um, but it was it, it was really good. It's a it's about a, a Christina Applegate is a widow recently widower, and um, she's joined this you know more or less a grieving group from a, a local church and meets Linda Cardellini's character and. Um, it's got a pretty big twist in it there, uh, now Linda Cardellini relates into it, and um, good characters. That was pretty much my takeaway. Like I, the the characters were thought out. They I liked how they related to each other. Um, James Marsden was really good, and uh, just a you know for a TV show, different take, a little darker take. Um, the kids in it were pretty good. So the other thing, my wife and I sat down and watched, uh, in between watching episodes of Dead to Me, we watched a movie called Wine Country, which... Uh, also seeing many ads for. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is going to be right up Alicia's Avenue here. So uh, it was like Rachel Dratch and Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Um, Maya Rudolph. Maya Rudolph and Anna Gasteyer. Um, you know, some of the biggest women comics out there. And it's pretty dang funny. Um, it's what I thought it was. They play a group of basically lifelong friends who come together to celebrate 
Rachel Dratch's character's 50th birthday. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lot about women and friendships and ups and downs and how they relate to each other. But um, And I, I heard Amy Poehler say these are kind of they're all kind of exaggerated versions of themselves yeah and a lot of the things spring from trips they've actually taken <laughs> yeah. like the you know, yeah. scenarios that pop up or things that actually happen you know taken to extreme yeah it's it's, it's fun um so we enjoyed that it was a netflix comedy so not outstanding but pretty good well, we forgot to mention that westworld trailer we got yeah yeah were you excited Oh, it looked pretty good, but it could also be the first step, half of the first episode, mm. and then right, then who knows, right back to whatever. I didn't did like it came on. Did you see it like organically as it because it was on like before um, Game um, of Thrones? No, nah, it wasn't on before Game of Thrones for me. Okay, because I it, it came on and I was just watching. I'm like, what am I? I, I didn't realize what I, oh, yeah. I was watching. Yeah, I didn't know it was Westworld. I like Aaron Paul. Yeah. And, and I mean, it looked great. I, I love Westworld. Uh, I'm glad they're doing something different. That, that mm-hmm. I let, I'm glad the story's moving forward yeah. and it, everything. So, yes, it did look great. Do we still call it Westworld? Uh, I'm still calling. I'm sure I they're. Mean, I'm sure they're going to still call yeah. it less. He was not riding a horse. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, well, until yeah, they're going to have to change it. Yeah. So if I'm, anybody, so, I'm psyched for it. If anybody hasn't, uh, if you haven't watched Westworld, or if you're a big fan, go back and listen to way back in the archives. Listen to all Cess commentary. Take a ride through Westworld <laughs> with us. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. It's I, especially season one. Great show. Yeah. So, so yeah, the second season was still good, but it was so convoluted. Yeah, like it's still enjoyable. So I, I like this. Looks a little more simple. I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to that. And I, I like the world building. Yeah, that's I. I got some flack, I believe, from some people in this room saying I like the second season better than the first because the first season had almost no world building. We didn't know anything that was going on outside the theme park, and I liked learning more. And this seems like we're going to open it up even more. We're going to oh, yeah. learn. What what the fallout of all this right. stuff? Does that do it for streaming? I think so. Right. How can you read this? There's no pictures. Well, some people use their imagination. Well, I must hurry back to my comic book store where I dispense the insults rather than absorb them. It happens all the time. Read a comic book, okay? <laughs> all right. Now everyone can tune out if you're done with this episode. Uh, we don't do comic news all the time, but some. Big things have happened recently. Um, Tom King is leaving Batman involuntarily, basically. Mm. Since, this is crazy to me. Since early in his run. Tom King uh, is one of the most acclaimed writers in comics at the moment. He's been on Batman since this the Rebirth era, issue one. Built up to issue 50 and the Catwoman wedding. And before then, he was telling everyone he had it's a hundred issue plan. Mm-hmm. From issue one, basically, he was setting up all this stuff with Bane, all these mental problems Batman was having, the Catwoman relationship, Thomas Wayne from the Flashpoint era. Like he was building this whole story for a hundred issues, and we learned this week he is uh, issue eighty five. He has been shown the door. <laughs> is it that bad? I'm. It's for me personally. It's Tom King is love him or hate him, and when he does something really good, 
It's very good. But when it's off, it's just, I can't. I can almost not stand to read it. Um, the Vision for Marvel, people loved. He did Omega Men from DC. He did Mr. Miracle, 12 issue series. Yeah. Um, so he's Sheriff of Babylon for Vertigo, uh, kind of a modern day war story. So those were all super critically acclaimed. And then he's given the flagship book. Batman is the number <laughs> one selling book in the world. And sales have been going down. I can attest to my store it has. I've, I don't, I'm not sure about the nationwide numbers. I know it has been. It's trending down, but I know for a fact it's down at my store. And I even had a guy this week, someone else in the store was complaining about it. A guy who's had Batman on his pull list the whole time I've known him was like, yeah, I kind of hate it too. I'm just kind of waiting for him to leave. Like he wants, he's still getting it to keep that run intact, but he really is not enjoying it. So I'm like, I I have some anecdotal evidence that it's not really working. It's like the Avengers run I'm reading. Yeah. I I love selling books to people that hate them. (laughs) Selling books out of spite. I just got to peg them and put them on. That's where the industry is. So uh, we're we're in the midst of Year of the Villain, the whole DC thing. And he was building this whole big story. City of Bane was starting in issue 75 with artist Tony Daniel. And it was all going to kick off to issue 100. And that's the rugs have been pulled out from under him. It came out on Bleeding Cool first. And people were like, yeah, Bleeding Cools are rumor mongers. Mm-hmm. And then Tom King tweeted, hey, thanks for the support, everybody. Instead of saying, no, it's not true. It's a lie. So it was obvious something was up. So I just saw today they put out some actually official news. And it is official. He's leaving. He is doing a 12-issue Batman Catwoman series with Clay Mann, the artist. Um, they're not calling it a replacement for the 20 issues he's not getting but it has to be to wrap yeah. up that story. Yeah. It's kind of their Bruce and Selena's kind of swan song for him. Uh, they had Bob Harris come out and make a statement. We're making changes to our comic book publishing line to set DC up for continued success. We're starting with the best-selling Batman comic. It's what an incredible it's an incredible story and an integral part of our overall campaign and the blah 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 blah. Uh, so yeah and Tom King came out and said it's tough to leave Batman it's a gift and a joy to be on that book but I'm leaving it to work on the biggest most ambitious projects of my career comics I get to make with the best collaborators and that's a gift and a joy too so everyone's being cool about it no one's you know making statements and throwing blame around but I know it's been big news of like a lot of the message boards and things of you know I'm I'm committing to this storyline, and you're not going to let me read the end of it. Versus, you know, DC's a business, and if sales are down, they got to make a change. So it's been some spirited debate in the comic book world this week. <laughs> as is the comic fans are wont to do. Hmm. We also got news. Squirrel Girl is ending with issue 50. Isn't that super popular? Or no? It's, or just critically acclaimed? It's critically acclaimed. And the sales are terrific in trade paperback and digital, but monthly sales are not, yeah, monthly comic sales aren't great. Um, they said it's not being canceled. It, uh, Ryan North, the artist or writer, um, Derek Charm is the artist he took over for the original artist, Erica Henderson. Uh, they said they've reached the end of the story they wanted to tell and they're ready to move on, do something different. So. They're just going to end it on their terms where they want to. It's gone. The first volume was just eight issues, and then it relaunched with a new number one. So there's been 58 issues. They did an original graphic novel, and it won the 2017 Eisner 
best publications for teens. Um, and I'm I'm gonna go out and make a bold prediction right now. That looking back on this 10, 20, 100 years from now, these 50 issues of Squirrel Girl are going to mean more than the 100 issues of Tom King's Batman. Put a sound effect in there, like yeah. mic dropping yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But yes, right now Batman, obviously he's had bestseller, whatever. Squirrel Girl has had Squirrel Girl has had such an impact that we can't even see right now. This book launched. It, it's the book. I love it. The, there's a segment of fandom who they hate the art. It's too cartoony. It's not realistic. It's dumb. It's juvenile. It's cheesy. But for the audience it's written for, it is wonderful. And it's she solves problems with compassion and like talking to the villains and figuring out outsmarting them, doing clever things with she's a computer programming student. So for some reason, all the, the, uh, the <laughs> plans somehow revolve around, you know, programming computers and, uh, you know, the uh, what do you call that language? Ones and zeros. And stuff. Binary. Yeah, binary. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but this this is a character like this character is so popular. It spawned a a a Disney um, XD cartoon. Yeah, the Marvel Rising cartoon. She's kind of the main star of it. There have been two, uh, at least two novel spinoffs for young readers. She's supposed to be the star of this pilot, the New Warriors show they're making. Um, it opened the door. The, the characters Gwynpool had her own ongoing. The Unstoppable Wasp, Ironheart. All these female solo comics about you know these strong female heroes who are also compassionate and smart and cool yeah. and have a big group of friends supporting them. Like I said, the sales are not great on the monthly issues, but the number of kids picking these up in you know at book fairs and libraries and every letters column in the book, people send in photos of their cosplay and art they made, and it's like this is the first comic I ever read, and it's I love it. So there's going to be a whole generation of readers. 10 or 15 years from now that this is the book they're going to look back on with that nostalgia that we have for books in the 90s or the 80s mm -hmm. or whatever. So there's going to be a whole generation of creators that read books like this and that is going to impact whatever the future comics goes. I'm not sure if you know, Squirrel Girl is the <laughs> Z ground zero for all this but it's going to be an important cog. So record this on some sort of recording device and yes. play it back generations from now and <laughs> tell me if I'm right <laughs> this out of all the things you've ever said <laughs> this is the limb I'm going out on wow. this will be my limb that this critically acclaimed comic book will be more well regarded than the one that everybody hates no I'm saying it will have <laughs> <laughs> have a bigger cultural impact oh, okay. I got you that it's outsells Squirrel Girl by factors of ten, but it'll be like, oh yeah, didn't he almost get married to Catwoman? Like no one will remember the details. Right, right. Squirrel Girl will be revered. Wow, I've never read it. I, I'd like to read some of it. Uh, Wait, I'm reading the best comic on the shelves. Is it in that box you gave me? No, <laughs> I gave Jordan a box of comics. Like, get this crap out of my house. <laughs> Many of it I sold to him less than a month ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't even need the last issue of Heroes in Crisis. <laughs> the ass fell out of that last month. Anyway, 
Spider-Man Life Story. Did we ever say anything about it before? If we did, you have to hear about it again for a minute. I just mentioned that it was coming out or it's had to come out. Yeah, that's right. You told that's right. You said something about it. And I was like, I need to get me some of that, and it's great. We've only had three issues of six, and it's really great. It follows every you know every decade of his life as if he you know didn't constantly stay a young Peter Parker. He grows up with the eras what well, we're we're in the 80s now so he's in his 40s yeah so it it posits he got his powers at 15 in 1962 okay the first issue takes place in 1967 he's in college then we jump to the 70s he's married to Gwen that was a great Aunt issue. May's getting older the next issue was in the 80s Secret Aunt, Wars. Aunt May has lost her stuff, <laughs> her marbles, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Peter's lost a step. He's physically not as able. So hey, this cool new symbiote suit—it's oh, going to make nice. me Keeps pretty, me pretty sweet. It's great. I, I, I love, I love it. It's quirky. It's like, it's not. I was saying, telling you the other day, just how it's not like, oh well, what, what would happen if this? No. They're just doing whatever they want. They're like, yeah, a little bit of that, but they're go ahead and just go oddball directions. I think it's really good. Um, I love the it's Bagley art, right? It's mm-hmm. I love the art. Chip Zdarsky. Now I've heard his name. What else did he do? Uh, he's writing Daredevil right now. He got mostly known for sex criminals from. Oh, Image. okay. Yeah, I watch. I re- I have the first trade of that. Um, anyway. I love it. It's the best thing I've read this year in comics. Did you have the same opinion of Heroes in Crisis? I'm only halfway through <clears throat> issue seven. I had to put it down the other day and help. In a I rage? Liked I liked no. issue seven. Um, yeah, right? I, I mean, it's... Issue it eight, is what it I is. did not care for. Oh, have you... I haven't picked up You haven't eight. picked up no, issue eight. No. Uh, I like... It's in that box in there. Yeah, yeah you it's in the box. You can have it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, you go buy it. No, the, I do like the. Um, so far, I have I've liked the booster. Anything booster and yeah. and, and beetle, if it's done. You know, I like halfway it. Decent, I, mean, I love I, that stuff. I, I'm I. I look at two different. I don't like events, and I like events. Like I don't like the events just for the just for to do it. Yeah. But as a fan of Identity Crisis, I like those kind of things. When it's a single story yeah. of epic pr- proportions, I'm like, okay. So I, I was into something like this. Yeah, and the the interaction between you know Booster and Beetle as you know the ultimate bromance, of course, in DC books. But them the interaction they were having with Batgirl working with crazy Harley Quinn, and she's you know trying to keep her in check. Like I like that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, get back to us. When you read issue eight, they kind of reveal what happened. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see if it... Because I know some people... This is, again, Tom King got death threats mm-hmm, over that. Yeah. So. Anyway. Uh, and you read Galaxy's Edge, first issue? Yeah. Yeah. And it was fine. This is the... So it was a, kind of a, you know, what I thought it was going to be a preview, uh, more or less, of some things from at, uh, Disneyland and Hollywood Studios, the very soon upcoming Star Wars Galaxy's Edge um, happenings in the planet of Batuu and Doc Ondar and some other you know yeah, places so around the land. If you're going to visit Disney and the new Star Wars world, this kind of populates yeah. it with some mythology. Right. Yeah, the first page mentioned Ronto's Roasters. Yes, which... 
Yes, I, I you heard it, it here first, people. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Kenny Roger <laughs> Roasters. <laughs> so yeah. So it did. It did enough to yeah. To, there, there to was tide you place, over yes, for your trip. Yeah, that was okay. Fun. I'm getting very excited. About uh, yeah, it, so. I, I'm not even going, and I'm excited. Yeah, super excited. <laughs> so I called um, Disney today. In fact, so. Anyways, is there a day you don't call Disney? Sometimes I call yeah. it. Just check in. <laughs> uh, Devil's Do got a cease and desist order from DC Comics. Alexandra Ocasio Cortez is causing troubles again. Oh my. They put out that one shot uh, AOC and the Freedom Force colon new party who disc. <laughs> Just sort of a. You know, hopping on what's hot right yeah. now, talking politics, and a, co- a bunch of short stories in this one shot. Uh, there's one where all everyone in Congress is like a, a wrestler, and they're facing off in the ring. And there's some like set in some po- post-apocalyptic world. And there's a few uh, more serious like infographics with charts and graphs and information. So, and kind of an odd book, but. You know, Devil's Do has done that. They've done, you know, Barack the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. They did a couple things like that. Um, well, they did a variant cover for a store in New York. Artist Carla Cohen did a print run of 250. These are these store-exclusive variants you can only get through certain stores. And she painted her as Wonder Woman. Yeah. And the store was selling for $30. Well, Devil's Do, and I've heard the store got a cease and desist as well, but I'm not sure I couldn't quite fact check that. Um, asked to recall, return, or destroy all these. And last I looked, they were selling for $2,000 on eBay. Wow. Hmm. Um, it's it was, a night, it was a very beautiful image, very fully painted of her in a Wonder Woman suit with an A where the W would be, obviously. And it's obviously a parody. Yeah. No one's going to confuse this for an issue of Wonder Woman. I don't get why DC flipped out about this. But apparently Fox News picked up the story because they talk about AOC all day, every day. And this has caused a huge spike. People ordering the book from Dynamite's website. Not ordering that cover. Yeah. There's a different cover where she sort of looks like Wonder Woman. It's the main variant cover. She's in kind of a gray skirt and armor. And it's obviously a parody. It looks nothing like Wonder Woman. And people are buying that like crazy, thinking it's the one, <laughs> it's the, it's one the, the lawsuit one. is about. Mm-hmm. So retention and listening skills are yeah. being tested and wow. not going very well. <laughs> Don't buy books for $2,000 on eBay, folks. It's not a good idea. <laughs> Unless I'm selling them. Here's I wouldn't even crisis, do that. I wouldn't even do. Actually, Devils do. The last con I went to, they had a booth set up there. Josh Blaylike was selling these books, had stacks of them, and I'd had a customer order them, and he said, "Can I get both covers?" It was that it was the main cover and the Wonder Woman cover, not the yeah, yeah, the other one, the mm. yeah, other one, and and I couldn't get it through Diamond, so I was at this con, like, I'll pick that up for my customer. He'll love me. I'll get him a cover. He's like, uh, regulars are five bucks, variants are ten. I'm like, I don't love my customer that much. Because <laughs> I don't know if he's gonna he even wanted to pay ten bucks yeah. for it, so I might have got stuck with it, so I didn't buy it. But yeah, there were stacks of these books. These are not rare books yeah. by any means. It is only one specific cover that is very rare. So <laughs> don't fall for it. Scourge of old white men everywhere. <laughs> Comic books? 
<laughs> sure. You're right. <laughs> uh, speaking of old, is coming I up on the too, Cliff. 80th <laughs> anniversary of Marvel Comics. Marvel Comics number one went on sale August 31st, 1939. So they're putting out Marvel Comics number 1000. This yeah, this is weird. I was saw something a little bit about this. Mathematically, it makes no sense. Right. We've just had Action Comics 1000, Detective Comics 1000, so... Yeah. So back have, off, Marvel. Yeah, we have to just... Let's you do gotta 1, get there. They could have called it Marvel 80th. You yeah. know, spectacular. It's, the thousand means nothing, except it's just a big round number. But it is 80 pages long, and it's a interesting format. I'm down for this. The first panel from the issue comes from that issue number one in 1939 and then each page afterward correlates to a year of marvel history yeah, it's, it's but like by year isn't yeah, it? yeah so each page has a different creative team and takes up a year of of mm-hmm. history it was all put together by al ewing the writer got an alex ross cover one of the 50 variant covers um, and it has something, something called the Eternity Mask. There's been some conspiracy since the dawn of Marvel Comics to keep this artifact hidden. And it's going to weave through the entire history of Marvel Comics through 80 pages. They are bringing in you know current writers like Gail Simone, Chip Zdarsky, Saladin Ahmed, Jason Aaron, Mike Allred, John Cassidy, Donnie Cates, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Eve Ewing, Jonathan Hickman, Lionel Yu, and Dan Slott. They're bringing back some of the old favorites like Roy Thomas. Chris Claremont, Peter David, Jerry Conway, Adam Kubert, Kurt Busick, Neil Gaiman, Eric Larson, Rob Liefeld, Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale, George Perez, Brad Meltzer, Walt Simonson, J. Michael Straczynski, Mark Wade, and Joe Casada. And they're also bringing in folks from completely outside the comic book world. And uh, the editor said something like, these are some people who've mentioned Marvel Comics before in their other work. We know they're fans, so we want to help integrate them. Uh, a couple of those, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, the directors of Into the Spider-Verse, right? Heard of it. Uh, Taboo from the Black Eyed Peas, I guess. Okay. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> All right. It's one page. I think you can get through it. Uh, Joe Hill, one of your favorite authors. No, he's... Well, he's, he's a comic person as well, but... He, right now, he must j- just be right. Oh, he keeps saying, well, as a comic writer, not right, a right, comic right. writer. He's, he thinks he's only a comic writer right now, but yeah. And Adam right. F. Goldberg. From the Goldbergs. From the Goldbergs. He's writing one, too. So I'm down for this. It costs $9.99. Yeah, I want, I want that. You may get it back, but... <laughs> It'll be in the next box. <laughs> I just don't... I, I was discussing before we start, when we were waiting on Cliff... Uh, that I was just kind of going through my comics and I just don't want to just store comics forever that I don't like. You know, well, I, your exact words were they don't spark joy. Yeah, they don't spark joy was the best way to explain it. It's like I have tons of comics that do. I can get them out, look at them, reread them, but just seeing them, knowing they're in there, oh, I love them. So, from the ones I've always loved, but then there's ones like I buy a lot of comics that aren't good i read them once and then they get put in the box i'm like why so let's get them out there in the world maybe someone else will enjoy them hand them down hand them off yeah pass them out that's right they're not doing anybody any good sitting in there yeah yeah this is yeah i love that idea in fact um you know uh someone who we don't name anymore um he used to do that with my with my kids he would you know 
bring over boxes of comics for them all the time just to just to read and you know say hey if there's anything here you want take it and enjoy couldn't go one episode couldn't (laughs) it just it comes out okay (laughs) all right last but not least um i could talk about this for hours and i'm not going to but uh, no one else on the planet wants to talk about it with me. So I kind of want to guess what you this guys is. are my captive audience here in this room and at home. What's he going to talk about, Cliff? No. There are charts involved. I've I'll got a pie it. chart. It's a pie. Got a yeah. Pie. Oh my gosh! If you have a pie chart in all different colors, like fifty things on it. What could it be? He printed that out in color. That's different that's like extra money, right? Kinds here. of pie. Uh. Bigfoot sightings. Ooh. We're in the comic book section. Oh. I don't know. The 2018 book scan numbers have been crunched. Come on. What? The book scan num- What are book scan numbers? Book scan... You, what <laughs> are you doing? <laughs> don't Let me tell you, Cliff. Feel free to unplug this at any time. <laughs> we're an hour and 20 minutes. Nobody is left listening. <laughs> they were out at like 30. Oh, All right, so um, we're not getting into the pie chart then. I'll cut that part out. I'll just hurry through this. Um, book scan is the... We saw how we know how many books are sold in America. Oui. Uh, to all the bookstores and Amazon, it keeps track of... It's like the New York Times bestseller list, but for everything. And every year, Brian Hibbs, uh, he's a retailer from San Francisco, he he keeps track of all this stuff, and he, he, he crunches all the numbers, makes all the graphs, and it's all on comicsbeat.com. I'll put a link to it if you have any interest in looking at this. But these are the numbers. This is all graphic novels. This is not monthly comic books, and it does not include... Things like school book fairs or library sales or even the direct market. This has nothing to do with... uh, No, wait, it does have diamond. Never mind. What am I saying? Yeah. So, but it's mostly, I said, bookstores. Okay. Um, And they release... he, He looks at the 750 graphic novels. There are more, but these are like the most, you know, some are selling like a dozen, you know, so you're saying through Amazon, so. and then just in 2018, what was the highest selling graphic novel? Is right. what we're supposed to right. guess. That's what you're trying. Oh to yeah, guess. we could turn it into a game. That'll be even more fun. Yeah, <laughs> so if you already know the answers. Otherwise, <laughs> I mean, I, you could have probably guessed a lot better than us. No, so, I couldn't. That's oh. the point of my oh, thing okay. here. Then I have no idea. Uh, you would never guess. We could sit here all night and you would never really? guess. Because, oh, really? Because the direct market comic book stores in America have no impact whatsoever on the sales of graphic novels. 19 of the top 20 best-selling books are young reader books. Ah. These numbers blow everything superhero out of the water by huge margins. The the top one two three four the top six titles are all by the same author, Dave Pilkey. Oh, Dave! See your favorite. Uh, he <laughs> was the creator of Captain Underpants. Yeah. His newest is Dog Man. Okay, it's a superhero dog who's a Man. dog. The top six selling books in the world are Dog Man graphic novels. <laughs> He sold 2.6 million copies. 2.6 <laughs> million copies in one series. 
13% of all comics sold were this author, this series. Mm. 13% of every graphic novel sold was a Dave Pilkey Dogman graphic novel. Why are we making such a big deal out of Tom King right now? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and the sad thing is, I will admit, I had not heard of this book mm-hmm. till maybe six months ago. I get a catalog every month. I get emails. I get 10 emails a day telling me, oh, you should order this series. Be sure and check out this series. I don't. I did not know until I crunched these numbers. I don't know. The second best, Raina Telgemeier. Drama, Smile, Sister. She does these middle grade novels for young girls. Uh, Ann Martin does these, the Babysitter's Club graphic novels. Uh, do, do, do. Uh, Big Nate. Phoebe and her unicorn. Jesse Starcher knows that one. He did a podcast with his daughter with that one. That one's number 19 of the top 20, the first volume of that one. And these are I said the you know, uh Batman does not mm-hmm. <laughs> does not impact this whatsoever. Only one book in the top 20 is not young readers, and it's the Adventure Zone graphic novel, yeah, which no, is a big is, yeah. gaming RPG. podcast. They've done uh, the second one's coming out soon, but the first one has broken up in a big way. So again, very mainstream. Yeah. Again, I had not heard of that. I didn't know it was a podcast until I see this list. I'm like, I should probably order some of that. Somebody might want that. Oh yeah. Um, the number one manga book, My Hero Academia, doesn't hit the chart till number 25. Hmm. The first superhero on the list is at 29. The Infinity Gauntlet. Hmm. So a yeah. book from 1991 was the best-selling comic of the year, superhero comic. See, now that might have been a guess. Probably the first ten guesses I would have had been that none of the none of the first 28 on your list would have been in there. <laughs> so they they he crunched the the top 18 authors who sold more than 100,000 copies, uh, and they they represent 58 percent of sales. So. More than half of all sales are by one of these eighteen authors on this list, and his 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 deduction is that probably means that most comics aren't that profitable. If you have to do, you have these eighteen authors. You know, it's hard to make a living in comics. You have these eighteen authors get fifty eight percent of the pie, and mm-hmm. everybody else is sharing yeah. the rest. It's insane. And there are only two: Brian K. Vaughn and Robert Kirkman are the only two quote-unquote mainstream comic guys on the list, both image authors. And so all these same numbers, the guy, the, the Dave Pelkey, Raina Telgemeier, the guy who does My Hero Academia, author of Big Nate, Amulet, Babysitter's Club, Phoebe's Unicorn, uh, The Pajama Diaries, One Punch Man, Legend of Zelda, Pirates vs. Zombies, like Plants vs. Not Pirates vs. Zombies. Um, I was so yeah, excited. <laughs> so yeah, uh, again, manga, manga is big, and kids books are big, and yeah. superheroes are not. So he he did the top ten publishers. I'm not going to go through it all, but number one is Scholastic, and they have 33 percent of the market share. That's no surprise. Scholastic started publishing graphic novels in 2005 mm-hmm. with the Bone series. Mm-hmm. So since 2005, barely a decade. They have a third of the pie. I added up all the other publishers, Marvel, Image, IDW, DC, Dark Horse. 
the publishers I buy from, the people yeah. in my store buy, they have 31% of the pie. So one publisher has a third. All the quote-unquote, you know, comic mm-hmm. publishers have a third. And everybody else splits a third. Andrews McNeil, Penguin Random House, Macmillan, you know, all the HarperCollins, all the book publishers. And the direct market is missing all of this. I have none of this audience. Nowhere yeah. from Diamond. And I said at least one of the books on the top 20, Diamond doesn't even carry. So it's a Minecraft book. And I said it's not even available through Diamond. So we have ignored this enormous marketplace. They're not coming to comic stores. And like we said, this does not even count the Scholastic. Scholastic has their own book fairs. They're in yeah. every school they in the country. They audience. So this 33% of the pie is probably small potatoes to what they're selling in school libraries every year. Yeah. That's not tracked through BookScan. So, yeah, they... 4.5 million copies they sold through... They had... Scholastic has 58 books. Made 4.5 million copies, which was a 67% growth from last year, which the year before they were up 42% from 2016. So in 2017, they went up 42%. 2018, they went up 67%. So Scholastic is taking over the world of reading. If you have a young tween reader, they're probably reading these books. Sounds like it's time to reorganize the silent comics. <laughs> I, and that's the thing. That's the sad part. I have a large kids section. Yeah, you do. And I, I actively try to stock it with the best stuff. And I don't know this stuff because it's not being sold to me. They don't put a star in the catalog saying, hey, dummy, this is the best-selling book on the planet. Take a look. It's somewhere on the bottom of the page, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the book that I don't even know. Hmm. I, maybe I'm maybe I'm failing in this that I'm not doing all this research. Well, I can but, send, you know, for a small. I, I'm for looking small. at a pie chart over here. I feel <laughs> yeah. like you're you're doing your due diligence for a small fee. I can send my 12 year old daughter over to uh, consult. <laughs> so yeah, Scholastic's number one. Andrews McMeal, the number two publisher. Penguin Random House, the number three publisher. Holtzbrink, the number four publisher. I've never heard of them. Five Harper Collins. It's not until number six we get to Image Comics. They had 42 titles on 402,000 copies, which is a huge drop. They sold 909,000 last year. Uh, if not for Saga, the first volume and the most recent volume. Super and, great comic. And, Walking Dead, which sales are starting to sag a little bit on that. That's kind of keeping image up there. Marvel comes in at number seven. They had a small drop in the number of titles sold, but a small rise in the dollar amount, meaning they have raised prices, as Marvel is, again, want to do. Uh, Their number one seller was the Infinity Gauntlet. Number two was Black Panther, first volume from Ta-Nehisi Coates. And their third best song was Infinity War. So all so these, these are all driven by movies. Media tie-ins. Uh, number eight publisher was DC, which DC had been the top. They had the best backlist in comics. All the Vertigo books, Sandman, Preacher. These mm-hmm. books sell forever. Watchmen, V for Vendetta, Dark Knight yeah. Returns. These are evergreen books that have sold forever. When Scholastic took over, DC was still a strong number two. And for some reason, DC fell off a cliff this year. And the guy doing this thing, he said, I don't even understand it. I've I've looked at these numbers and it makes no sense how their sales have plummeted so much. Uh, Their number one seller was Watchmen. Sold 27,000 copies. 
down from 31 last year. Dark Knight's Metal was number two, which is the newest book, mm-hmm. sold 19,000 copies. Uh, Killing Joke was down from 36,000 and sold to 17,000. Uh, v for Vendetta was at 18,000, only sold 14,000. So even these evergreen books are selling less than they have. And he's, his quip was the layoffs make more sense now. DC has kind of reorganized some stuff and fired some people. So something has happened. I don't know if it's all the reboots making things confusing. Everyone has these books already. I don't know. No, no big media presence mm-hmm. from these, these books. I don't know. But something happened at DC. Uh, so, yeah, we're... Direct market is healthy. <laughs> so, yeah, if anyone wants to talk about this, I'll be at Asylum forever. Come in and talk to me about it. I'll, I'll show you my pie chart. Bring your own pie chart. We'll compare. <laughs> I was saying, there's an awful lot of people out there that want to read comics. Yeah. And they're not getting them from comic book stores because comic stores are not appealing to that audience with what they want. So we need to fix that. Starts at home. I'm going to order some Dog Man. Stat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You better get on it. Dog Man. Dave Pilkey. Never heard of it. All right. We did it. Yeah. Yeah. Real quick. Uh, hour and a half in. Hope you're still with us. Um, if you don't remember by now, iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, uh, Spotify. Stream us on Spotify. Anywhere you can find a podcast. We even have a YouTube page now. Look us up. Yay. We have one video. It's not very good, but check it out. Yeah, our Riverdale game. Running around the Dale. Ran around Riverdale. Yeah. So, uh, you know, hit us up. On, you can email us. Kapow, the pop culture podcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media, Facebook, Twitter, at the Kapow podcast. Correct? The? Yeah. Email, no, the. Twitter, the. <laughs> we make it easy for you. Yeah, sure we do. Hey, thanks everybody. My name is Jordan Lou. I'm Cliff Barnes. I'm Seth. Bye forever. Kapow! The Pop Culture Podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during the podcast are property of copyright holders. All original content is property of www.udownwithkpp.com.